welcome to the Murphy Corp podcast. Uh, Rachel is going to be sitting down with friends and colleagues within the industry to discuss a series of things, so business change and leadership for one. This week, she sits down with Rita Brockless, who has a wealth of experience and knowledge within the business arena. One thing, though, if you do know Rachel at all, then you'll know she's not very good at sitting still. So you may hear a few pen taps throughout the podcast. Just know we are working on it. Enjoy. There is a massive debate about transformation being hugely overused. So it's a most, most overused uh, term. Well, actually, digital will give it a run for its money. Yeah. <laughs> but the bottom line, really, for me, is it's about business change. Um, so, you know, from your experience, Rita, uh, what does business change really mean to you? Okay. Well, I think it's an interesting question, Rach, because I think you can ask 10 people that question and you'll get something very different. Yeah. So... Um, for me, business change falls into two key areas, predominantly um, the external focus. So if an organisation is um, looking at developing new products, new services, entering into new markets, wanting to do business with other types of uh, customers, maybe uh, all driven by something um, that will have an external focus and it's about producing something that's going to add value or going to either help enhance or grow their business strategy. So hopefully the external focus is about delivering something somewhere to somebody um, that they've identified as a need. And that's where I've seen most of the focus of is, is what do we need to deliver? But the other side of it, which is a bit where I probably have spent most of my career, is looking at the organisation infrastructure to deliver that grand plan. Um, because you can have the best aspirational strategy, but if, you don't, if you're not set up to deliver it, then you won't, which is why often change or transformation doesn't achieve what it's set out to do. Yeah, yeah, common occurrence. Indeed. So I think that, um, I think I always talk about the difference between um, what an organisation is trying to accomplish and their readiness to get there yeah, so looking at the gap analysis around the aspiration and the reality of what it's going to take so business change is the infrastructure the people the processes the systems the engine that's going to drive it i think transformation is about perhaps transforming products and services and solutions which may be so in my view perhaps transformation is more external facing and um, the change is what needs to occur in order to drive that yeah I think that's a nice distinction I think the the two are um, overused and entwined and for a lot of people uh, as you say a lot of people they have a very different a uh, very different meaning um, and you know over over your career and you've shared a little bit about the organizations that you've worked uh, worked for before but over your career, you know, how have you um, achieved business change? Um, well, certainly Is that not a million, my... <laughs> million dollar question there. <laughs> Just like that. Um, well, certainly not my own. I think it's. I would find it difficult to answer just from my own perspective, and I think that would be the wrong thing to do. I think uh, success has come from, you know, truly collaborating 
with others who are impacted by the change. So knowing what your own role is and what it is you're trying to accomplish is one thing. But as you know, I'm a big fan of stakeholder mapping and working out, you know, who is this change going to touch? For what purpose are we doing it? You know, to what extent are we set up? Do we have the right people with the capability to help us get there? Um, I certainly wouldn't look at operating in isolation. Not to say that I haven't come across people who want to work in isolation. Um, get off my land comes to, comes to <laughs> mind. Um, but actually, in order to move the dial, you know, and all those other phrases like connecting the dots, you know, you really do have to understand who is going to be impacted by what I'm doing and who um, do I need to reference or get involved with in order to deliver that outcome. So for me, um, it's been achieved with uh, and working through others. Yeah, okay. No, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've I've worked in a lot of organisations who, um, you know, have, have talked about transformation, have talked about... Um, improvement um, and business changes is often an afterthought. Um, you know, more more recently, I was working on a a big SAP implementation, mm-hmm. and they were rolling out a system. You know, thirty two countries, three thousand staff, mm-hmm. and yet not a pound allocated to business change. <laughs> Uh, and you think to yourself, well, you know, how bloody successful will that be? Yeah, I, I think the transition of my in my career um, where I got involved was I remember the first probably most significant change was certainly working with Virgin Atlantic. And we looked at, you know, similar to SAP, we had Oracle um, and we were looking at the transformation of the HR services um, inside the organisation by automating some of those services. So that was sort of 10 years ago and it was all about... you. You bought a visa kit and the purpose of that change was to eradicate duplication of cost and effort, to increase efficiency, to enable others to serve themselves and all of that good stuff. But often what happens is organisations buy a system, but getting that system to land and mean something for the users in an organisation is not often given the energy that it should. And certainly I had the opportunity to go in and work at Virgin to actually bring that system to life for people and make it easier for them to interact with the HR services, whether that was booking their holiday, checking their payslip online, and it was about making it easier too. And so I think that was a forerunner in terms of business change, if you like. Um, And then moving on, looking at sort of business change, but from an organisational standpoint, which is looking at the transformation of organizational structures and that's as a result of business changing so you'd say okay um, whether that's sort of certainly at a global level working with an organization that operated in 250 countries and looking through regions how do you set up from an HR strategic standpoint the operational levels that need to happen out there in the countries and working in that kind of way was another form of transformation because then you're looking at culture yeah and you're culture engagement time zone all those things um, and then lastly, I would say the behavioural side of change, which is, you know, often what people say they want to do, the words and actions don't match. Yeah. And that's about having absolute sponsorship by the top tier who genuinely want this to happen, knowing that it's going to be a bumpy ride um, and to be fully supported. Um, certainly, if I think about when we've worked together, a lot of that has been looking at sort of the, the current skills or the behaviours that you, you've got in your teams and how you 
are going to be able to move forward to deliver your outcomes with the teams that you've got or the teams that you need to develop. And that's, I think, where we... It's another angle on, on change, if you like. Yeah, and I think the difficulty, and I, I echo your points there, I think the difficulty with business change is, um, you know, is, is top cover and is bravery. Um, and the reality is, you know, um, there is a lot of talk about people wanting to uh, do transformation um, and, and make things different. But of course, that comes with um, a lot of hard work. It comes with really needing to take the people on the journey. And, and a lot of the time, um, you know, it's like training was 10 years ago. Yeah. It was an afterthought with a fiver in the bloody budget. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, I hear, I hear that. And, and you talked a little bit there about different types of business change. Um, what challenges have you come across in, in trying to implement business change? Uh, I think um, um, in terms of things like a, a very fundamental HR process like performance management, um, people perform according to how they're measured. So if, for example, you are instigating a significant change, um, unless that change is um, captured in someone's performance review or it impacts their bonus or not, or it, it, it has um, a very important role within the organisation, then I have experienced occasions where people have chosen to deselect themselves from the change because it doesn't suit them or their department or, dare I even say, their country. Yeah. You know, we want to do it differently here because we're different in this country. Or well, actually, if you have a global strategy that says this is what organisationally we are here to do, of course you think big and then you act local. You look at what it is you need to do to make that work at a local level. Yeah, yeah. What isn't up for debate is doing it. <laughs> so I think that that's the... You know, it's it. That's why I think the strategic partnerships and the truly understanding what the business is trying to accomplish, for what purpose, what's driving that change. Unless that change is known and understood, then it doesn't matter what level you are in the organisation, people will deselect themselves. And if that's not followed up, or if it doesn't matter, then people sleep well at night. They can just carry on. It's not going to impact their performance. It's not going to impact their objectives or their targets. It's uh, it's funny. The, that's yeah. the private sector predominantly. <laughs> it's funny because the the term deselect. Um, I uh, I've I've often in uh, in public sector transformations. Um, I've often wanted to deselect a few, uh, but of course it isn't quite as easy as that. No. Uh, some, somewhat no. more challenging. No. Um, and what about lasting legacy? And and what I mean by that is you know after the project um, and after uh, the you know the the kind of change has been made. Um, how, how how does that become a reality? Um, how how do you ensure that those changes are adopted, upheld, and taken forward? Okay. Well, I think that, mm, there's there's a few angles on that one as well, actually, Rach, because I think that um, there's been some stages in my career where I have been personally accountable for delivering quite a significant change, um, which I did. And um, that's been in quite challenging working environments. Um, all that I've mentioned before, getting to know where the talent is in the organisation, partnering with people to deliver it, having to work through others, you know, putting the energy into making that happen, whether that was through a mergers and acquisition, where often people-related transformation is brought to the table very late, um, but actually, you know, wading through that and making it happen still. Um, whether the change is sustained 
if if I'm working there, then I'm accountable for making sure that it is. So yep. I think there have been examples which I could cite. But I think if as an interim or an independent or once you leave an organisation, there is no guarantee that it will be sustained because, it, you know, you... In reality, there will be some people who will say, oh, we tried that before. We didn't like it. It didn't work. And that's the challenge because it may not suit them. Um, and so if you then get invited back in six months later, and that's happened before, <laughs> you <laughs> can it's, imagine. It's happened you know, a year before. Yeah, Rachel. indeed it has. And, you know, <laughs> you know, where you're actually saying, OK, so help me understand why this has fallen through the cracks then. <laughs> And all of a sudden it's... Fact, uh, I think I've no. heard that sentence myself before. <laughs> it ends back on track and, and we're good to go. But, you know, it, it is about what matters most. And, and if, if, the, if the change is delivering enough, as in changing bottom line results or increasing efficiency, or is to what extent does it matter? And then are you evaluating or constantly evaluating whether you remain on track or not and what you choose to do as a result of that? I think where... Um, you know, you roll out a change and, and, and people choose to deselect. Like I mentioned before, I can remember going back, and obviously I'm quite old now, so I can go back 15 years and I remember balanced scorecards and things. And, you know, there were people who just did not want to go with the change. So you then have to help them maybe find their next role, especially if they're very senior, yep. which may be outside <clears throat> of the organisation. But, you know, be supportive to do that because there are some things you cannot continue with um, but it's about trying, it's understanding what stops stuff from happening and what needs to happen, whether it's more support or confidence or or whether or not they're not being supported. And I think that's a really valid point. And I think, you know, over the years of, of business change related work, um, having those honest conversations, you know, with, with some individuals, some are never, ever going to want to make the change. And, and there may be very, very valid personal reasons around that. Mm. And, you know, helping them um, to, to, to go and find the next opportunity um, and being comfortable having what, you know, is undoubtedly a tricky conversation, but also a fair and equal conversation is, is often the best way. Yeah, and I think really if, if, you know, sometimes you can work and partner with organisations to help make, you know, sort of these transitions occur. Um, and there are occasions where, you know, I've certainly fed back to you on, on with some uh, scenarios where, you know, what's getting in the way of this is, you know, a um, disconnected understanding of strategy or a... a uh, you know, misguided view of the priorities right now. Yep. Well, that means that you're not dealing with somebody's um, skills. It may be, you know, the communication's really poor or, you know, um, lots of information. I've had people say to me, oh, we send stuff out all the time, Rita. Yes, but you haven't checked whether it's been understood. Yeah. And and it's as fundamental as that sometimes. So um, I, I think the, other, the only other thing you've said about legacy, um, I've got one... Uh, area that I've worked with and if they listen to this they'll know who they are still refer to me as Nanny McPhee (laughs) (laughs) so I sort of turn up when you don't want me (laughs) and when you no longer need me I go but um you know joking aside it's really a I think it's a, a measure of um working with some great teams they don't always like me when I first arrive um but if they know it's about having honest and real dialogues and genuinely helping them move things forward um, and that actually I'm partnering with them I'm not doing something to them I think then that that's again another uh, uh, a legacy that I I'm, I'm proud of I like that yeah 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 that makes a lot of sense and I can empathize with the not liking when you arrive 
I'm not sure they often like me when I leave, but that's a separate uh, that's a separate story for another yeah. podcast. Um, the 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 bit as you were talking there, Rita, that uh, jumped into my mind was about lasting legacy from a public and private sector perspective. Yeah. Do you think it's 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 more difficult leaving a lasting legacy in the in the public sector than the private? I think the public sector is, it's, it's a very interesting example for me in my career because I spent most of it in the private sector and you are very much driven by bottom line results, you're very much driven by whether it's a shareholder or whatever is governing some of the decision making. So um, certainly in terms of change and transformation, decision making process, decision making authority, governance and all of that good stuff that you take from the private sector I think is is beginning to certainly in the areas I've worked have a lasting legacy in the public sector because it's a very complex landscape to operate in, yeah. and um, certain ways of working may have been in train for a really long time. That doesn't mean to say they're current. Some of them actually slow the speed at which you need to act and make things happen. So. I think by being fresh eyes into that environment, asking some of the challenging questions around, you know, who cares about this? What needs to happen this week? How are we tracking on? You know, and, and really the, the skills you bring from the private sector yep. in terms of that commercial acumen and that mindset of moving things forward and being able to demonstrate the extent to which you are achieving what you're there to do, I think is really important. Um, I think the leaving the other side of it for the for the public sector is the fact that we're all customers, you know, because for the public sector, you know, all the the great transformation work that's been going on in digital transformation, I firsthand am benefiting from this as a you know a member of society. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the <coughs> same time, um, if you contribute to that work, it really leaves you with a great feeling. And even though I've been left certainly NHS. Um, you know, UK for over a year now, when I see anything go up on Twitter or any of the work that's coming to fruition, which I know we were talking about about back then when yeah. I was there, I'm really proud of the guys and I'm really proud of the small contribution I may have made to help move some of that thinking forward when I was there. Yeah, and I, I can empathise with that. And I think there's, um, you know, the, there is, whether this is a, a personal view, but there is a, there's power um, in creating turnover for a company Mm. but I'm not sure there is anything as powerful as creating a difference to society yeah Uh, that's that's something that that equally drives uh, drives me um it it, you made me remember um when you were talking and I was working my first central government department and I referred to the organization as the business and in the board meeting nobody knew what I was talking about Mm. And I realised then yeah. that I was in a very different world mm. uh, and one that I was going to actually need to learn the lingo uh, mm. and adapt to. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not knocking public over private. There yeah. are pros and cons of both. Um, but I, uh, I, I do think that, you know, we have um, an opportunity um, in the private sector to drive change faster and harder yeah. than we do in the public sector. Yeah. My, yeah. my personal view. Absolutely. And I think also in terms of um, taking the skills and the experience from, say, the private sector into the public sector, where, you know, you, you pause and you take stock and say, OK, well, I can see people are really busy. Yeah. You know, sometimes I've been parachuted in and I think these people are really busy 
but not necessarily on the right stuff. Yeah. And so that realignment against <clears throat> a plan or a strategy, that's not detrimental to the individual. It's about the focus and the directing that needs to be re-established. So, you know, in, in any change book you read, they talk about stop, start, change. I think sometimes people are happy to change and they're happy to, you know, uh, start new things. But to stop something is is scary for some people. Yes. Oh, we've always had this. And it's a bit like the legacy stuff of the challenge will be around, well, I developed that system, so I want to hold on to it and I want it to stay alive. The fact that it's unsupported or it may actually affect something else that's being developed for the common good. You know, but there's some of the cha- very small things that can hold up movement. Yeah, they are. And I, uh, I, I, I remember Nursing Midwifery Council when I arrived, was running 54 live projects. And I remember saying to the chief exec at the time, you know, to be clear, we need to be running a couple of programmes of work, not 50, you know, 50 plus um, ad hoc initiatives. And and she was brave in her decision making and said, I, you know, I will kind of cull these projects that are in flight. Mm. Um, I will provide the top cover and we will move to a couple of programmes. But, you know, they... See, well, CEOs, perm sex, um, you know, they are few and far between in mm. my experience mm. with that level of uh, that level of bravery. Mm. So, um, so, you know, from a personal perspective, Rita, what makes you want to drive change? You know, why do you not sit with a status quo? <laughs> um, I mean, I know you, so I know why you don't. But I thought <laughs> it's I'd all ask. a bit dull, really. <laughs> um, I actually, you know. It's interesting because I was thinking about stability and change because I, you know, I think in a business perspective, I'm really comfortable in taking calculated risks. I love change. Um, I like working with ambiguity. Um, I quite like fly by the seat of the pants sometimes, you know, it's not always about being... That's quite handy, that's quite handy, Rita. It is, really. (laughs) Um, Whereas that's not always sort of carried over to my my personal life, but, but certainly I think in particular for me... I love unpicking the complexity of people when it comes to change. I really like to understand sort of ways to overcome or look at ways in which to play back the reality of a situation. I love the diagnostic. I often, I'm very fortunate to work with some amazing um, corporate companies who very early on, I mean, I suppose now it would be known as a troubleshooter or a, I remember the Sir John Harvey Jones series back in the 80s, that tells you how old I am, but I remember thinking, I love the idea of going in somewhere and unpicking what the challenges are and the complexities are. And, and I suppose now there's a proper bona fide job that sits in that, <laughs> in that field, but that's really what I gravitated to. I like to try and understand that. I like to have real conversations, really, and um, it is absolutely reliant on building um, strong relationships, knowing that you're coming from a safe place. You're not there to criticise. You're there as a critical friend. Um, But I really like to try and understand what the heck is going on and what is it you really are trying to do here? Hmm. You know, I, I, I think one of the best pieces of feedback I got from somebody was you're really good at cutting through stuff really quickly, Rita. So I'll sit and listen and listen in meetings for so long and then I'll go, can I just say something? (laughs) And it literally is, can I just check what I'm hearing is this? So I'm a big fan of playing back what I think I've understood or I've observed or I've heard. And then say, okay, so let's then help me understand 
where this fits with where you say you want to take this business or where you say you want to take this product or service and and then get into that kind of dialogue and that's where the real conversation takes place and that fascinates me yeah um so you know i'm coming from that more of a commercial mindset than a traditional hr background although i've spent a lot of my career in hr i think i'm genuinely interested in what are you trying to achieve and where are you right now and what's going to happen to get you nearer to that point what about from companies that you've worked at rita um which company um which company kind of stands out for you as as one who were keen on business change and driving innovation and doing things differently oh well I think I was with them all at different times I think certainly um, I spent the bulk of my corporate career working for Canon so you know very innovative organization brilliant startup um, very creative new products and services were um, the brains behind a lot of the technology um, and very much about managing by objectives. I was very fortunate I worked for 13 years in that company but did nine different roles because I was always on a secondment because I was nosy. <laughs> always, or, always troubleshooting. You know, by troubleshooting, the yeah, on a secondment, you know, noticing disconnects or whatever. And I think that they were you know back in the time that I was there they were incredibly um, supportive in 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 me but in the type of person that I was and my genuine interest in the business so that was very good but I think it's probably too early in terms of actual real transformation apart from going and setting up some of the European stuff and getting them to work more collaboratively across countries that was that was a foresight that they had there um I think uh I loved making that move then to Virgin because Virgin was sort of a very different animal. I remember going into reception and the you know the music was blaring loud and I thought like I'd arrived in a club yeah, and I thought amazing. oh it was fabulous and it was, it was just a real change from a very corporate environment. Um, but again, you know, very prepared to be out there and try and use the technology. But what I liked the fact was they were looking at using it to develop their own internal processes and systems to enable their own people who are brilliant and external facing doing stuff for passengers and um, creating a fantastic service and product but beginning to look at it from an internal perspective of course it was about driving efficiency and effectiveness and reducing costs but actually we brought it to life in with real flair and I think that that was a really fantastic thing to do I can remember being at cabin crew check-in areas as well as being in the hangar with the engineers and just everything about bringing this this new self-service solution to life so I, I particularly enjoyed that I would say um and, and in all of the areas I think have had an interest and have put investment in but the extent to which they've wanted to give it that extra push and give you that license to be creative and to bring it to life, that's varied, to be fair. And I think that, without a doubt, would link back to culture of an organisation. Yeah, it's funny, I'm reading uh, Branson's uh, latest book at the minute and, uh, you know, the energy almost leaps off the page. But, but, um, you know, I can imagine there's the pros and cons of, of working for... Uh, working for people that are almost, well, you know, genius. Yeah. Um, but there's, I yeah. suspect, some level of erratic behaviour and some pretty crazy decision making. Um, but uh, you know, that genius is, uh, is what it is. Yeah. Um, and what about from a personal perspective? Um, so I mean, it's possibly a bit of a strange question, but you know, do do you um, do you feel 
that you'd like to share a personal transformation with us? Uh, yeah, it's interesting because I think if, for me, in two areas really. I think professionally, I would certainly say that I've, all, I've almost gone through my own personal business transformation. So, you know, I've been working and developing through a corporate career um, for the best part of nearly 30 years. You know, my well, my first job was I did the filing and made the tea <laughs> and chose biscuit of the week. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but actually, you know, in, in, in transitioning from the, the sort of perceived security and infrastructure of a corporate organisation to taking some, you know, a grown-up gap year, um, taking some time out to decide, actually, what do I really now want to do? And I think many years ago, I read a fantastic article in Harvard Business Review, which was about managing the second half of your career. And I think that people spend so much time on the early part of the career, whether it's to get the studies under your belt, get the experience, whatever it is. But you get to a certain stage in your career where you pretty much work out what you're good at, what you're not so great at, and that no amount of development is going to make you any better. You know what you love. You absolutely know what you don't really want to touch ever again. Um, And you, it's about looking at your career in a different way. And, and, And so... I think that was a big transformation for me because I'd been very corporate <laughs> and um, very committed to the organisations I worked for and the people we worked with and through. So making that was a big change. But, you know, in enforcing that change, you then look at sort of taking on new roles. You look at um, how else I might need to train. It's a calculated risk. You're not always going to get work as an independent person. You have to certainly talk to your network and sometimes I remember saying to somebody once can you remember what I was good at <laughs> you know because you sometimes lose your way as well yeah. so there's, there's there's good and bad in all of it um but aside from that I would say now that that change and investing in that time and taking stock means that I've sort of arrived at this moment in time because clearly I'm a work in progress um where I very much enjoy the diverse roles that I carry out so that's being prepared to take that brave step and have a go um whether that's working with you guys on the advisory board or the work we get involved in today um you know visiting lecturer at a uni where i work with different cultures you know in the aviation world which is just fantastic and you know mediation which i trained to do this year um i think on a personal level um i've also gone through significant change and i think it, i'm happy to share this because i think it happens to all of us <laughs> at some point sadly but um i experienced a very significant bereavement in the last 2 years um that's had a profound effect on me as a person um and i think you have to recognize that when the landscape of your life changes dramatically you can't be all that you were before because too much has changed and, you know, in a business concept, they talk about the burning platform, you know, this yeah. big, big event occurs that can happen to you in your life. And and I think that in, fortunately, having sort of been someone who's quite well read and studies about behaviour, and I took the time out to really uh, absorb and deal with what was going on for me on a personal level. And I think that's quite important. I think you reassess how you want to live your life moving forward. You make lots of adjustments. You change your working pattern. And it's no different really to when change is full stop whether it's business change or personal change and you know there is light and shade in all of that and um in the last 12 months I've just you know another significant change in becoming a grandmother (laughs) so So significant change and significant noise yeah and um (laughs) so um I've 
I think I've become Nanny McPhee again, but in a different <laughs> guise. But um, no, I mean, you know, from, from great sadness comes great joy. And, you know, that will sound twee about it because it's a very serious event in my life. But I think it's worth mentioning it because we give a lot of our energy to work. Yeah, 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 we do. And I think that, um, you know, when these things occur in our lives, and it means we have compassion for others, certainly, and um, and recognise that all that we were before, we still are, but we're just going to be doing it in a slightly different way. And uh, But I think that's the bit for me, Rita, working with you before. You know, you're real. You get all of Rita, so you don't get half measure rocking up. You know, you get the full Monty. Uh, and and that is um, that is unusual in people, uh, but also people warm and respond to that. You know, it's incredibly powerful. I don't know how to be any other way. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say that's very handy. Uh, well, I really appreciate your uh, your your candidness and uh, time. Uh, thank you very much. You're very welcome.